And so Nehemiah, we're going to look at, because we're going to talk about how, so we've all discussed, I can't hardly do it without reviewing. So we've all determined what? In our mother's womb, God plotted our course. Our, what we do in life is not our decision, it's our discovery. Everybody, from when, as a parent, you should tell your children, not you can be whatever you want to be when you grow up. You're going to be what God has ordained you to be because that's the only happy place. That's the only safe place. That's the only good place. And you say, well, I wish I would have known that. You know, I didn't raise my kids that way. But as long as there's breath within you, as long, I mean, you know, and, and well, I messed up, Pastor Mark, so I'm looking for plan, you know, uh, Q or Z, but there is no plan Q or Z. There's only plan A. And whether it looks like you messed it up or not, it's amazing how God can always get you back on plan A. It may not look the same. People may be different in the car you're driving in. The the atmosphere around you may look different, but it's always plan A. God has got a plan. And because we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for you and I, it's not going to be a scary place. But at the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment is we'll be judged in Christ because we're born again. But everybody individually will stand before the judgment or you can call it the reward seat of Christ. Uh, The King James calls it the judgment seat. But there Jesus is going to ask you a question. Did you do? He's going to look eyeball to eyeball. It's just you and him. I can't stand there and hold your hand. Your spouse is not going to be there. Nobody's going to be there. Just you and him. This is your master. This is your savior. Did you do what I asked you to do? Did you do what what was prepared for you while you were in your mother's womb? Before you did anything right, before you did anything wrong. God had a good plan. Ephesians 2.10 tells us he prearranged a good plan for you. And what I want all you all to be able to say, or all y'all, is what? I, I want you to say, yes, Lord. I did it. I want to be like Paul. I have finished my course. How many know Jesus finished his course? Paul finished his course. So many we see in Hebrews 11, uh, they finished their course. And I'll just throw this in. And none of them were perfect. None of them were perfect. Adam and Eve, not perfect. Caused a mess. Abraham and Sarah. She's a laugher and a liar. And he's a sleeper with other women, even though his wife gave him permission. Created an Ishmael, the mother and father of our faith. Yeah? David, a man after God's own heart. Uh huh. But he also had one of his mighty men killed because he slept and got his, his wife pregnant. Okay, now nobody, we're not running out to live in sin around here. But get over it if you think you got to be perfect to be used by God. I ain't, you ain't, but thank God for the blood of Jesus. Now listen, if you're living in and practicing sin, you got to quit. Confess your sin, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you're waiting until you get perfect enough to obey God, that's a trick of the devil. Amen. Everybody say plan A. We're going to do it, right? We're going to do it. So... If, if I'm going to be judged for something, it would be unfair and unjust of God not to tell me what it is. If I'm going to be judged for something, like y'all remember school? I don't know what you remember, but I always used to get mad at the professor or the teacher that tested me on a footnote that they didn't talk about, that I was supposed to read about, but it's a footnote. Come on. 
That's not fair. God's not like that. He's not hiding things from you. Remember he told us in, uh, you know, in the word, all throughout the word, I've got a good plan for you. And the thing that is, when it happened in your mother's womb, it was before you did anything right or wrong, and it's your discovery, and it's the highest, and it's the best. And really, a lot of times, um, I was listening, uh, I didn't get to listen to much, but I guess I tuned in at the right time. Uh, Pastor Rhonda was doing um, a meeting for Pam uh, over Zoom or something, and Simon, her friend that she met in a certain country, um, uh, he said this, and it's really the only thing I caught. He said, the plan of God for your life is not a straight line. If it is, you probably did it. But with God, it's a winding river. Because it's fun to follow God. And it's, and it's interesting to follow God. But it's, if it's a straight line, if you have to have everything all figured out, I know this is hard for you, some of you. But, but God has a plan for your life, and if you just follow him every day. But the point is this. If, I ha- if I'm going to be, um, if, if I have to answer for something, then I should get to know what it is. And so, sometimes, and we're going to start with Nehemiah, sometimes the very thing you're called to do is kind of thrust on you in a moment. So let's look at Nehemiah. We're going to do it this way because um, it reads better, easier out of the New Living. Uh, Jimmy, if you could put up Nehemiah. Um, let's just do, uh, let's just start at verse 2. Nehemiah 1-2, if you could do that for me. New Living Translation. And I didn't give you my notes, and I'm sorry, but I didn't know really where I was going. Hananiah, one of my brothers came to visit me. So this is his natural brother, came to visit him, and some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who returned from the captivity and about how things were going. So the Jews, some of them got out of captivity, and they went back to Jerusalem. Verse 3. They said to me, "Uh, not so great. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in a great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I I mourned, I fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So let's stop there. A lot of times how you discover your destiny in life is what bothers you. What... um, What grabs you? What you think needs fixed? I believe this. I believe all of us are created to fix a problem. And really, in the natural, you get paid for the problem you fix. Now, I don't know that it's fair, but this is how it is in our society. I mean, you know, doctors, especially surgeons, get paid more because they have a bigger problem to fix. I want my brain surgeon, if I ever need one, I want him knowing what he's doing. I have people say this all the time. Well, I, I got a spirit-filled doctor, and they pray in tongues. But if he's never operated, I can pray in tongues. <laughs> I want somebody who knows what they're doing. Are you with me? Just so it's good when you can get use a believer for anything. But, um, you know, a lot of people who put those little fish things on their cards, they're just trying to take you. Anyway, I, that's not my subject tonight. All I'm saying is this. Everybody was created to fix a problem. Now, when I'm hungry, 
Um, they're created to fix a problem. I think those people should be paid more. Um, but that's kind of how it is. I believe everyone in this room, you're destined to fix something. You're destined to do something. That's what you got to discover. How do I discover that? Where's your passion? When you hear something, you say things like, somebody needs to fix that. Well, it's probably you. Somebody needs to do something about that. Well, it's probably you. And then you get irritated that everybody else is not irritated about what you're irritated about. Because they got their own irritation. How do you make a pearl? How does an oyster make a pearl? By irritation. Do you think God may have designed that? How do you discover your destiny? When he heard this, it caused him to pray. Because see, he can't fix this. But it's doing something in him. His brother, of all people, brought him something that he personally couldn't fix. He was in no position to fix. But it so moved him that it caused him to pray. It caused him to do something. I remember uh, I was in uh, preaching in another nation. And we were there with a small team. And uh, Tony Haskell had a young lady uh, from the Philippines, I believe, that was there to help her. And uh, she was a minister, and uh, I think Tony had taught her in a Bible school in the Philippines, and she came over to help Tony in the nation that she was in. And uh, while we were enjoying dinner, and we were uh, shopping at the little shops, this girl was off. And I'm like, what's she doing? Tony's like, her passion. What was that? Well, she was checking on all the young ladies making sure that they were okay and rescuing and setting up rescues for anyone who might need rescued. That was her passion. And she was really good at it. And she really helped a lot of people. She didn't just talk about it. She didn't just pray about it. She didn't just hope that somebody else would take care of it. She went to the place it was happening. And she risked some things. And the Lord protected her, yet she helped some folk. It may not, yours may not be that dramatic. Uh, your, your passion may be to pray for people. Your passion may be to, like Julie's passion is. We need more, I need more people passionate like Julie's passionate. So does Bethany. She wants, we need about 30 more of them for the nursery so that we can open all the rooms back up because we're growing again. Amen? Amen. If you ever rocked one, we could use you. Hallelujah. Um, but, but, but we want people who are passionate about it. We don't want people who don't want to be in there. We want people who want to do it. Uh, everywhere. I don't want someone just up here playing a guitar because they have to. I want someone who wants to worship. What's your passion? And really in life sometimes, and remember I told you this, you don't have a secular, uh, 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 I, I moved together. You don't have a sacred life and a secular life. You have one life. Amen. And so sometimes people in church like this are like, yeah, what do I got to do for God? But even whatever you're called to do, you can be called to be an engineer. You can be called to be a maintenance man or woman. You can be called uh, to be a, a teacher in a public school. You know, uh, man, we need some light there right now. 
You can be called to be a baker. You can be called to be an uh, uh, electrician. Thank God somebody's called to do it and knows what they're doing, because I sure don't. And I don't want to learn, so don't try to teach me. I've mastered the, the, the toilet, the thing in the back, the flapper. That's all I want. This is it. That's it. But that, he's not here to, to witness, that I was having trouble with. And thank God I ran into Johnny at Lowe's and he helped me get the right thing. Because I was a mess. Third trip. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to know. I'm not gifted in that. I'm not putting it on. I don't want to know. It's frustrating. I'm not, just, I'm not even frustrated in the grace of God. I don't, I don't have it. Hallelujah. But whatever it is, whatever it is, but your sake, your sake, I can mush them together. Your sacred and your secular life, they can be compatible. They should be compatible. Everybody's not called to the fivefold ministry. Only a small percent of the body of Christ is. And then, then everybody's not called to uh, make their living by the gospel. Sometimes we get in our circles the way we do, and everybody just preaches on, you know, what we ought to do for God. Well, the, your 40, 50 hours that you're working, you ought to use those for Jesus. And it ought to be something he's asked you to do. And you got to find it out. Hallelujah. Because you're responsible for it. Well, no, I'm not responsible for my 40, 50 hours. I'm just working. Well, no. You, if you do it with God, the grace will be on your life. Amen. Amen. Okay. So his, his brother, so he fasted. So what irritates you? What, what do you want to fix? If you see something, you know, there's so much... Uh, I'm not going to get very far. There's so much, you know, today, especially after these last two or three years and all of social media, everybody's got criticism. Everybody's, you should do it this way, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I've told you and told you, I'm a big sports fan. You know, usually those who can't watch. Um, so I was never really good at sports, but I, I played a little. Uh, I, I, I enjoy sports. And so I'm just like you all. And, you know, you live in Alabama, whether you're not from here or not, you know, you had to pick a team. And we watch football around here. And it should never be above Jesus. All right. I get that. And it's not. Uh, but I'm a basketball fan. Hallelujah. My team is doing good this year. Anyway. Um, but, but as you watch, I don't know if you do this. I tend to yell at them. Especially the quarterback. Because we can see the dude was wide open. <laughs> Throw the ball. He's wide open. But I don't have five guys coming at me that weigh 300,000 pounds. And they stick their big hand in my face. Or they're threatening to rip my head off. It's easy. We call that what? Armchair quarterbacking. Had a lot of people in my life, arm, armchair pastor. <laughs> armchair lead worship. Instead, you do you. I love what Julie said in there. I do what I do so everybody can do what they do. So the problem with people that are critics is they're probably not doing what they're supposed to do. Because if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you don't have time to criticize. And if you're really doing that and you believe in sowing and reaping, 
you would sow mercy. When we first started the ministry, we had friends that would come and they would say, hey, have you heard? That is the cue of, I'm about to tell you something juicy about another minister. And so people don't do that to us anymore because we would always stop it. Well, let's pray. No, I don't really want to know. Why? Because we knew as we grew, and even then, if you sow mercy, you reap mercy. But the Bible says that if you sow judgment, when judgment comes your way, it will be merciless. Think the best of everybody. Believe the best of everybody. And when people are doing what God has called them to do, you should be the biggest cheerleader. Amen. Because you're going to step out and do what you're called to do. And you want people cheering for you, encouraging you. Hallelujah. What got me off on all that? I don't know, but I ain't taking any of it back. Verse number five. Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Verse six. Listen to my prayer. So what, it gives you a clue of what you're called to do, and it drives you to prayer. When you start a vision, when you start your life, you've got to do it with God. Even though God gave you the plan, you've got to get his way of doing it. And so you can't do it on, his, on your own. You can't just charge in and do it. You've got to get God's plan for your life. You know, uh, you remember, hopefully you did this when you all went to college, whatever. Lord, where do you want me to go? Lord, what do you want me to study? Uh, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Everything that we do, Jesus is involved in. The Holy Ghost is involved. In. What you remember, we talk about James all the time. Should I go to this city or that city? Should I do this? Should I do that? The Lord is involved in every part of our lives because He's Lord. Amen. He's not just Savior, He's Lord. He's not just somebody I call in, in trouble, but I call on Him to tell Him to tell me what I should be doing and when should I be doing it. Amen. That's direct, He directs our steps. Amen. Amen. Listen to my prayer. Look down. Uh, uh, see me pray night and day. Remember, this is Old Covenant. Uh, before your people of Israel, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family, we have sinned. Verse 7. We have sinned terribly. <laughs> there must have been a mess. By not obeying the commandments, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Verse 8. Please remember King James' covenant. I'm not coming on my own. Remember your covenant. Do you have a covenant? Do you have a covenant? We have a new and better covenant. Please remember what Jesus did. Hallelujah. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter. He, this is what God said. If you're faith, unfaithful to me, I'm going to scatter you among the nations. And that's what happened. Verse 9. But I, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them. So Nehemiah is telling God what God has told him. What's that? That's prayer. That's pleading your case. Come, let us plead together. He's pleading his case before God because he was told by his brother that the walls of Jerusalem are down and everything's on fire and it's a mess. He said, but if you said if we return to you and obey your commands and live by them, then, uh, then even if you exiled us to the ends of the earth, you said you'd bring us back. That I've chosen for my name. So he's setting God up for what God had promised. But God can't do it until somebody asks. And how did Nehemiah get to the place of asking? His brother came with, this is a problem. And when his brother came with, this is a problem, then what happened? Then Nehemiah got something in his heart, and he immediately took it to God. 
what, what irritates you, what, 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 make, what you're passionate about, what you want to see fixed, what, what, you know, what, what catches your interest all the time. That is probably something the Lord wants you to be a part of to be the answer to that problem. Not just feel sorry about it, not just wish that somebody else would do something about it, but that you would pray about it, that you would see your part in it and see what God wants you to do about it. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell this funny story. She comes there once while on Sunday. When we were in the, when we were, no, we were in the storefront. This is before Pastor Rhonda and I were married. Um, you know, no, Pastor Rhonda, you, you heard me ministering to the Lord. I minister to the Lord. I don't sing. Um, but Pastor Rhonda, she was almost on a, she was in a singing group and then almost was a, a part of a, a singing group that you all know, would know well. And so, uh, but anyway, so this is before she came. And so I was leading worship and it was me and it was me. And it was, uh, 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 I think it was Dorothy playing uh, the piano, and, and uh, she hadn't played in years. And then I had a, a lady that was, uh, came out of the Nazarene church that um, she, she played like Nazarene. And, um, and then I had a guy on the drums um, who uh, had never drummed before. And so... I would, my, knee, my, my thing here was sometimes black and blue because I'm trying to keep him on beat. And then, um, so, and then Pastor Rhonda wasn't there yet. And uh, so this lady, uh, it's, it's all right, she, she, she'll fess up to it. So Bonnie, uh, she was making fun of it. She was like, you know, and the Holy Ghost said to her, you go tell him you'll help him. Be careful what you say. <laughs> so then when I got there, it was me and Bonnie, and then finally Rhonda joined, and then we got going, and then, and then we were doing pretty good. Then Ted and Gail came over in the A-frame, the first Sunday we were in the A-frame, and uh, he joined, and then we had a funky bass player. <laughs> so I was leading worship. Pastor Rhonda was my backup. I don't know if we'd gotten any other backups by then. Had, uh, I, don't, I don't know if my, had your mom come yet? No, so we were we we had we had a funky bass player, uh, a lady who hadn't played much, a Nazarene organist, and a and a. One time he tried to play during worship, and I gave him a look. I, I guess they say I have a look. My staff says I have a look. They've they've taken a picture of my look. It's quite the look. And, and he got afterwards, and he was in the military. He said, "I've seen that look before. I'll never do that again." It was a mess. All I'm saying is, though, that you better be careful what you criticize. The Lord might have you up in the middle of it. Hallelujah. Even if you're not supposed to be up in the middle of it. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I want you to realize, though, that there is something. I'm going to get to the other stuff, I guess, later. But one, people always say, well, you know, um, I'm, not pr I'm praying and the Lord's, and we're going to get to all that and how to be led. Because this is so vital. If the Lord's requiring you to do something, he's going to show you. He has to, or it's not fair. So you're going through life, say, well, the Lord never talked to me about anything. I find that very hard to believe, and I would challenge you on that because that's not fair, and he is just. He's righteous, and so there's something for you to do, and he's not going to keep it a secret. You can find it out, but there's other ways to find it out besides just praying and being led. We're going to talk about all that. Um, and I thought we might get there tonight, but obviously we're not. But a way is just things that bother you. 
That's what happened to Nehemiah. Now, if we go on, how, how much more we got? Where are we? Okay, let's go, uh, let's go to verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And so we know Nehemiah. Y'all know what a cupbearer is, right? So the cupbearer was to do what? He served the king. But more than served the king because everybody was always trying to kill the king. So what did he have to do? Before the king would eat, he would drink everything that the king was about to drink. And he would eat everything that the king was about to eat. So in other words, he's disposable. He's a Jewish man who's disposable. He's a good Jewish man. He's a good man, but he's disposable. And he um, was probably not doing this because he wanted to, but he was captured and he had to do this. So there's his standing with the king, and he's being bold here. Now, now what do we know about Jesus? Remember, he had favor with God and favor with man. And we have favor with God and favor with man. What's he asking here for? See, when you get a passion about something, when you get something burning in you, then there's probably somebody out there that can help you make it happen. Divine appointments. Being in the right place at the right time. Sometimes where you work, there are, you say, well, Lord, what am I doing here? Divine appointments. You know, what, what, do you, what, what, what am I supposed to be? You're being led somewhere, and you don't know why you're being led there. But there could be some divine appointments there. There could be some things there you need to learn to get you to the next thing. You don't know. You just have to trust the Holy Ghost. Well, here, he's the uh, cupbearer. And he gets this report, he's stirred to pray, he talks to God, asks God to remember his covenant, and then he's, he's getting bold here. Something must have happened when he prays. He said, now, Lord, I'm asking you to let the king give me favor, because I'm about to do something here. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the early, the following spring. So it wasn't the next day. It wasn't the next day. In the month of... Is that a month? I guess it is. And that's a car, isn't it? Oh, it's spelled wrong. During the 20th year of the king's reign, I was serving the king as wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. In other words, he probably wasn't allowed to appear sad in his presence. The king only wanted happy people. Happy people who have tasted the food that didn't die. Verse 2. So the king said, what's up? Why are you sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was, why? Because the king don't obviously allow no sad people. Verse 3. But I replied, long live the king. I guess that's a good place to start. (laughs) How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4, the king asked, well, how can I help you? And then with another prayer to God, he began to ask for some things. He began to ask for some things. Somebody's got to rise up and save this generation. Somebody's going to have to get this generation in their heart. 
that most people look around and say, they're a mess. But somebody's going to rise up and save that mess. Get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And their lives are going to be changed. And it's probably going to be somebody from that generation who understands them. I didn't grow up in a school where I practice for a shooter. I have no clue what that feels like. The only thing I had to practice for was tornadoes. I went to school where chewing gum was the biggest problem and leaving it in lockers and under desks that I had to touch. Not somebody bringing a gun to school. Somebody from that generation with the power of God is going to need some favor. Somebody's going to raise up. Because this is what this is. This is a generational thing. This is about, this is about, this isn't about a wall. This isn't about gates. This is about reproach to the children of Israel. This is about the children of Israel and the call on their life and Jesus coming through the line. It's not about walls. It's not about building something. Building something is just part of it. And even this, listen, the natural things God is having you do can be very spiritual. And, the, and, and who you impact at your work, at school, in your neighborhood, whatever God gives you to do, you need the favor of God. You need the favor of God, and you need the plan of God. And so I don't have time to get into it, but I love teaching out of Nehemiah. I love teaching out of it to leaders. I love teaching out of it to future ministers, but it applies to everybody in this room. Then he got this plan, and God began to work the plan through him. And then an enemy rose up against him because he saw that this man was getting some things done and he brought all the people together. And you, it's a fun thing to see. But then he, everybody around there each took a gate. And families and families worked together and they put the And so each individual is working on their gate. And then suddenly what happens? You got a wall around the whole city and everybody just did their part. And everybody just, and there was a time when the enemy was going to stop it. Listen to me. If the devil, uh, he, he can't keep you from being saved. He can't keep you from going to heaven. But one of the things he'll always try to do is kill the dream that God gave you. But just when he comes to kill the dream, you just be like David. A little boy who took care of his daddy's sheep. And everybody thought he was, a, he was nobody. But remember, when a lion and a bear came, and that's not two small things. I want to see the replay, how he whooped them. He did it with the anointing. Because most people would say, oh, it's just a little lamb, big deal. I got, I got, I got, I got 99 more. But he's like, not on my watch. Those are my daddy's sheep. And you can't have it. And sometimes you and I, we don't like it when the devil comes. But sometimes you are, don't get mad at me, you are ordained to fight certain battles. Because he fought Goliath, he became king. Because he fought Goliath, 400 men showed up at the cave of Adullam to follow a giant killer. 
See, there's things in your life when the opposition comes, don't quit. Come on, put on, put on, you got a full armor. You got a full armor. Fight it off. It's part of your destiny. It's part of your destiny. And so in the middle of all this, remember uh, uh, the guy, the other guy, he, 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 he was sending things. He was threatening him. And so remember they had in one hand they were building and the other hand they had a sword. Come on, you all, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can do whatever God's asking us to do. We can do the natural stuff. We can do the spiritual stuff. We can do it all together. And what happens? Everything gets done. Come on. It is important that you and I get to the finish line. But you got to know what it is. So this is just a way. I wish I had more time. But this is just a way. What irritates you? What do you see, what do you see that needs to be done? I don't care if you're 16 or you're 80. You're not getting any younger. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. Why would you put off tomorrow that you should do today? Because if you put it up tomorrow, then tomorrow's going to come again. And it's just going to keep being tomorrow. Figure out what to do today with what God has in your heart. Well, I'm just waiting. On what? Everything to get perfect? I've heard people tell me, well, I'm going to serve in the church, but right now I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that. You'll always have this, you'll always have that. I'm going to go to Bible Institute when everything calms down. What if it never calms down? What if going to Bible Institute will make it calm down? What if studying the word will fix some things? Uh Uh-oh, this is Pastor Mark Medlin right now. Listen, well, you know, um, I really, I, I do what I do, but man, I always wanted to be, and I always want to, I felt like I should have been, and I just can't, I can't do it, and I'm too old to go back to school. Says who? Still breathing? Well, I, I really feel like I should go back to school. Well, then go. Nah. Listen to me. When Jesus comes, let us be found doing the thing or on the road to the thing that he's called us to. Amen. Amen. I this one guy, he doesn't go to church here. It was a few years ago. I love this story, though. Uh, he, his daddy owned this big business. And so it was like father and sons. And he was about to take it over. And it was, it was a big business. It wasn't a small little potatoes thing. It was a big thing. And uh, so he was going to do it, but he was miserable. Miserable, miserable, miserable. Just didn't want to do it. And uh, so he was sitting, hearing a message like this many, many, many years ago. Because I preached on this. I, always, I, I was shocked how much I preach on this um, when I put all the, my, my notes together. Shocked uh, how much I, this is really big in my heart. Because I think it's the thing. You've got to be in the place. I want you, God wants you in his will. He wants you to hear well done. And so he was listening to some of this thing. And so uh, he always wanted to be a nurse. Well, just, I didn't know his daddy, but I don't think that sat well with dad. So you know what he did? He went to nursing school. And before he left here, he was, he was a nurse. And he was content. I don't know if daddy was happy, but he was content. You mean he gave up a business to do that? Well, it probably, if he heard it here and it stirred him here. I've had people go back to school to become teachers. I've seen people do this, do that, start a business. 
you have something to do. And yes, you need to do something here. You need to do something in the body of Christ. But the bulk of your life should be doing the will of God. Well, Pastor Mark, uh, I'm content and I really feel like I'm in the will of God. I'm working retail and, you know, I don't make a lot of money, but I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Then do it with everything you've got. Every customer you wait on, you be joyful. And they ask you, why are you so happy? And then you can tell them why you're so happy. It's not happy. I'm full of the joy of the Lord. You want to come to church with me? It works. Amen. You don't have to be a lawyer or a doctor to be approved of God. Do you. Do what he's called you to do. And do it with all your heart. And then it opens up the doors to where you're supposed to be. One of the worst things you can do with this kind of thing is compare yourself among yourself. The Bible says it's foolish. Preachers do it all the time. I have a friend, y'all know, well, y'all know Kimberly, right? The one that got married and left. Anyway, my friend JC, he used to have this big meeting every year. And it was a big meeting and well-known people came. And he had a small church. And so he put on this big meeting. And this kid came up to him on a sandwich, JC. He's like, man, this is a big meeting. And um, man, how big is your church? And he said, well, we run between two and 500. He's like, you're 500? He said, I didn't say that. I said, we ran between two, <laughs> two, because <laughs> this is a church of about 30, 40 people. You know, he's just ornery that way, but I liked it. I liked it, even though, you know, it's kind of misleading. I liked it. <laughs> like, what's it to you? What's it to you? Why, why are you going to judge based on how many people go there if it's a work of God or not? Please. And in your life, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe it's taken you eight years to graduate from college. Enjoy your eighth year. Get her done. That's what God told you to do. You started your own business and it's not, you're not a multimillionaire yet. But you're doing what God told you to do. Enjoy it. Why am I telling you that? Because I've been through it. Mine is a ministry example. You know, don't be embarrassed of what God's having you do. Don't be embarrassed of you. God's not embarrassed of you. His favor is on you. 